This is Define by Stake Capital, a podcast in exploration of the DeFi ecosystem from the mouths and personal experiences of its builders and protagonists. Today, we dive into account abstraction, biometrics, gaming, and wine with Jérôme de Tichy, founder CEO at Comith and president of Ethereum France. Co-hosting with me is Marco Castagnoli from the Sourceify team of the Ethereum Foundation. Cool. So we can welcome our uh, our next guest, Jérôme de Tichy, uh, founder and CEO at Comith, uh, Ethereum France, um, and uh, well, so much more. And you're also uh, uh, a library <laughs> of gaming, uh, as I know. Like you, you you're quite uh, an old timer. That's why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> we bought you. <laughs> we can discuss about it together. I'd love to talk about gaming a bit more. <laughs> Let's get into Comet. First of all, what is Comet? How did it start and uh, how did it evolve? It started in late 2020 as an initiative to uh, uh, bring new waves of, uh, of users to the blockchain. And the initial initiative was to try blockchain games, um, like putting everything we can from the game inside the blockchain and every blockchain part that we can inside the game. Uh, so there's a huge now wave of innovation in that field called uh, Autonomous World or on-chain gaming. And we started with this, like we wanted to, uh, to create games that expose the blockchain as much as it can in order to uh, bring a new, uh, new type of users, not users that will be interested into uh, speculation on new tokens, into uh, deep innovation based on token or DeFi and so on. People that will be interested by uh, retail application of the blockchain and, and, and new usage of, uh, of the chain on, on existing technology and innovation on existing, uh, existing industry with the blockchain. And we thought that gaming was a really good application for blockchain. Uh, so we started with a first on-chain game and by making this on-chain game, we started to realize the, the difficulty of, of, of <laughs> correctly building a game or efficiently building a game using the blockchain uh, and also efficiently exposing the blockchain element inside the game. But moreover, uh, we also realized that it's super hard to get people to adopt blockchain technology, even if uh, you're telling them like it's a fun experience, even if they can relate to the characters of the experience, if they, even if they, they like the, the principles of the game. Uh, there's a lot of barriers to entry in, um, into, uh, into blockchain games and blockchain retail application at large. So by uh, 2021, we started to work on a new game and also work on um, on a way to uh, to serialize and optimize the tech stack that we were building, uh, which led us to building several middlewares that uh, we are also distributing. And right now, Comef has uh, two activities. We have a game studio called Comef Game Studio that focus on building games. Um, and we have a second entity that build a tech stack that um, we distribute to other games, but also to uh, other retail-oriented applications, such as... Uh, uh, you guys using uh, Comef Connect, Comef Connect to, um, to to let people have a wallet when they uh, listen to the to the radio. Um, so that's that's our two activities. We do uh, middlewares for retail applications uh, and not necessarily finance, but mostly retail like games, uh, traceability, loyalty, engagement, and so on. Uh, and on the other side, we do uh, blockchain games. And we have a new games coming up on Epic Game Store later this month or early next month, depending on uh, on uh, how the the last bits of uh, of tech uh, pass the the test. Can you share something about this game? What is this about? 
what what's the lore what's the it's a trading card game based on the original nfts that we minted uh, three years ago uh we had a, a year we are almost a year and a half of uh, alpha testing uh, on polygon the game by this time was called comef battle um trading card game with uh, a mix of magic the gathering and and uh, hearthstone in terms of its principles uh we have uh, a lot of hardcore players in the in the team that were uh, designing the game itself and during the during the test phases we had um, a bit less than uh, 90k users that have tried the game and, uh, and played the game uh, we crossed the 1 million game played as well uh, which made us super exciting on uh, on pushing this game to a broader, broader audience um, and uh, over the past five months we've uh, completely remastered the game in uh, Unity to put it at the, the, the right standards of, uh, of quality that you would expect from, uh, from a classic game distributed on, uh, on Epic Game Store Ah, and then we started to have negotiation with Epic Games. Like, can we do this? Can we do that? How do you expose crypto? How do we do this? What kind of PSP you're using? And so on and so forth. Uh, which led us to also uh, refine a bit the tech stack at the same time. So you support also plat like um, PlayStation or Xbox or... Uh, it would be possible to do so. Uh, oh, wow. there, there, it would be possible. Uh, we are going to first launch on Epic Game Store uh, okay. because it's, it's a good way for us to, to test out the game at a broader audience this way, and also to test at uh, at, at at a large uh, at a large scale uh, the type of onboarding that you've experienced on uh, on the Heard Radio, like um, being able to sign with a biometric and uh, be able to uh, to to take over the account uh, uh, whenever you feel like. Uh, doing so uh, with uh, your classic wallet, MetaMask, Ledger, and so on. Um, so yeah, first let's test on uh, on Epic Game Store and see if we uh, if we are able to uh, to scale it properly. We are confident we we will, but let's let's see let's yeah. see for real first, um, and then let's see how we can uh, expand that to uh, other platform for distribution. Um, there's still question marks everywhere. Like, uh, can we publish on uh, on uh, on Xbox Live? Can we publish on uh, on PlayStation 5? Can we publish here or can we publish there? Uh, clearly, Steam seems to be quite hard to publish. Uh, we had good discussion with Amazon Game Store. Um, so, yeah, it's taking some time, but at least we have a welcoming door open for us at, um, at, uh, at Epic Game Store, and that's great. Okay, nice. So, how is actually the kind of technologies that you're building with Commit? So, you said you have several uh, middlewares yeah. that helps the, the developers for now you with, yep. with your games how much of this is on chain so in general like what is commit for a developer if you have a, an application that wants to reach uh, something in the tens of thousands of users and not necessarily web free native users uh, we need to chat basically we can, we can have a 30 minute chat and we explain to you what pitfalls we faced doing this, doing that, what pitfalls we faced uh, helping this uh, fi financial real-world asset application, or what the, the problem would we face doing uh, doing uh, an engagement program for a large cosmetic brand and this kind of thing. Like we can we can share stories about uh, what it is to want when you want to reach a broad audience as um, as a Web3 applications uh, outside of the Web3 space, probably Web 2.5, Web 2, and so on, or uh, your grandmother or your cousin and so on mm -hmm. uh, we have many stories to tell and uh, along the way we can tell you like we picked those kind of architecture we picked that kind of architecture this specific part of the architecture is a super tough problem and uh, we are solving it this way and by this way I mean different middlewares uh, the entry points oftentimes is the account creation 
um, yeah, that, that, is, that is commit connect, yeah. right? Okay. That's the uh, account creation is uh, a flow that has been uh, uh, highly optimized, uh, super efficient uh, now in the Web2 space. Like uh, you go on a website, there is an create an account button, uh, or there is a connect an account button, or there is a login button and so on. And this flow is, it, it, it feels like, it feels super natural for Web2 user. Whenever you start to have a different flow for your Web3 users, like, okay, oh, I'm going to do two flows, one flow for the web two, one flow for the web three. You are making people confused and you are uh, pushing your customer acquisition cost higher. So that's that's counterproductive. So, well, first you start to say there is two flow. And at some point you may start to say, well, let's do one flow, but I'm putting the login somewhere else and this login is giving me some, some, uh, some access to a wallet and so on. And you have different providers for that, like uh, the wallet as a service and so on. When you start to go into that flow of uh, using a third party to do your authentication and giving you a wallet as a service, you are also deteriorating the experience because oftentimes uh, those those words as a service come with a pop-up that people get lost in uh, like you would be amazed the test that we do that we did we did we did some tests on the on the alpha stage of our games where uh, we started to count how many people were confused by tabs like uh, oh there is a tab and then they they lost interest or they are lost in tabs we, we, we call it uh, lost in tab nation like wow there's so many tabs like I'm, I'm lost uh, so again pushing up your your customer acquisition cost and then at some point you receive an email you have to open an email put a code and so on and so forth like i did the, the zuzalu pass to get in here uh, really good stuff but i had to open an email to open a number to open a thing and so on uh, like compared to the the classic shopify experience or the classic uh, web 2 experience that you would expect from a top tier brand like yeah it's it's far from flawless and every time you add a click every time you add a tab every time you add a pop-up you are pushing your customer acquisition cost higher and the battle for attention for a new customer is super tough to fight. So our philosophy in that context was to say like you change nothing. You change strictly, strictly, strictly nothing to your Web2 flow and you get all the potential benefit that you will get from Web3. Like let's, let's see if we can have the best of both worlds. And it turns out it's uh, it's actually possible with uh, a lot of open source technology, with a lot of uh, of already well established technology, and this is how we designed uh, Comef Connect in the in the first place. So that's the the kind of uh, the kind of experience that we like to to showcase. Uh, the the technology has been uh, mature enough for for showcase since the end of the summer, and we are now starting to see uh, uh, retail applications building on top of it going live, and that's uh, that's super exciting to see. And that's usually the, the first entry point. We said, like, hey, you're going to save a lot of money. You're going to save a lot of hurdles. You're going to uh, to continue optimizing in the Web2 way without a compromise on the Web3 way uh, by using this. And it's going to make your life much easier. And that's the first thing. Like, you, you want customers to prove you have a good product and to prove you have a, a good market fit. Afterwards, there are different types of middleware that you have to expose. Like, uh, the there's lots of good things happening in the, in the, in the background. <laughs> like, uh, we index transactions, we index events, so your front end doesn't have to run its own graph protocol or its, its, its own indexing and so on. So we provide the indexing specifically for everything that's deployed using our, our stack. 
Um, and then at some point you get into the the, 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 the secondary market or the peer-to-peer -peer exchange of uh, your token that you've created or the NFT that you distributed. So we also have uh, an NFT marketplace that uh, is off-the-shelf, fully customizable for anyone that wants to go into this direction. It's very often time the case for uh, games that want to use this. So uh, half of our customers... Card, card game in particular. Card games in particular, yeah. Half of our, half of our clients are, are games using uh, this kind of uh, this kind of tools. Um, and then you get also some uh, DeFi primitives as a service that's mostly for games as well. Um, if you have a game that have commodities like uh, iron, gold, uh, copper, and so on in your games, maybe you want those games to be ERC20s and uh, people mine those tokens or trade that tokens and so on. Um, so we deploy uh, things like uh, Uniswap V2 DEXs uh, as a service as well for, the, for those games. Uh, again, we index, we, uh, we optimize, and so on. Um, and we have also a method of uh, checking out with credit cards uh, for, uh, for NFTs and, uh, and specific crypto assets that we build up with um, different partnerships in, uh, in France with PSPs. So you get your, you get your idea of uh, how your, you, you first you find an idea of how you want to expose blockchain to uh, uh, the retail crowd. And then uh, you think about how you design the, the application itself. And uh, this is when we, uh, when we usually uh, uh, join the discussion, like, hey, for the onboarding, you should use this. Uh, and, if, and, and for the ongoing, you should use that. And uh, for the optimization of your app, you should use this. And unfortunately, if you start to go straight into Web3 people and, 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 and lock yourself up in the Web3 crowd, it's very difficult to go the next step and, yeah. uh, and accept the complexity of the architecture that you have to... Um, trapped in the niche. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you get trapped in the niche, exactly. Very w nice way to put it. And I know that like the Commit Connect uh, module is based on account abstraction. And I personally think that it's like the technology that will change user experience for the Web3. What's your... Yeah. So right now, there is no alternative. <laughs> so it, feels, it feels a bit British to say that there's no alternative. Okay. Uh, we didn't, we, this is the only thing that we have. So in the... Uh, we... You know, the, the wallet as a service offering was a great way to, to distribute uh, addresses that you can drop tokens and drop NFTs on. Uh, it's an extremely good way to, uh, to onboard and, uh, and, and make the make some financial institutions confident on using the chain because they have a provider that uh, is so-and-so custodian and so on and then okay but for the for the general crowd um, it's uh, it comes with a lot of hurdles so they they were putting some band-aids on the on a, on a, on a wooden leg in some way like okay so yeah you want a wallet for your users like let's just give you a wallet let, let them log into uh, to our servers with uh, with google and so on and we will give them an address and it's it's cool but whenever you want to activate those addresses like oh my god like you need to uh, get them to buy crypto you need to get them to uh, do some kyc uh you need uh, you need you need to have a better uh regulatory oversight at some point because is it really non-custodial like what if the wallet as a service provider goes down like how does it work oh you can still copy paste the private key and having worked at ledger in uh, in, in some of my previous job i'm like oh, copy pasting private key oh my god <laughs> aye, aye, aye. <laughs> uh, so this this kind of problems right so it's um we, we i'm glad that we had a wallet as a service over the past two years because it it, it lets some uh, innovation continue to happen and, and it 
it did convert some people from Web 2 to Web 3. But the way the, the, the way account abstraction allowed you to do it is just a two or three orders of magnitude better. And since it's a smart wallet at the at, at its core, uh, you can do all sorts of things that uh, that simplify the life of your uh, not already Web 3 minded people, uh, like running out some keys, like changing the keys for something that's more secure, like adding more security, like um, uh, sponsoring the transaction, batching transaction. Uh, it's yeah, it's infinite the type of thing that you can do with this. How about biometrics? How would you respond to the people that are kind of scared, also because of the world coin experience? How would you respond oh, yeah. to them? Yeah. So first off, there's, there's a there, there can be a misunderstanding around biometrics because there's a difference between authenticating with your biometrics, which is uh, like uh, I'm unlocking my phone with my thumb, or I'm unlocking my phone with my face, or I'm logging in, logging in to a service by putting some biometry and, and that's it. Uh, that's, a, that's a way of uh, authenticating. Uh, the approach that we have is that we don't use the biometry to authenticate. We use the biometry to access the secure enclave where there is a key. So it's, it's slightly different, but it's extremely important to make this, uh, mm-hmm. this differentiation. So uh, let's take a service that uh, gives you access to a private key somewhere, uh, somewhere sharded, somewhere MPC, somewhere like uh, you don't know really who has the key, but the signatures come through and people are okay with that. Uh, someone needs to authenticate you, to authenticate that it's indeed you that's communicating with the service and give you access to a, a, a funnel where you can send messages and get them signed. In this case, the, the wallet provider is authenticating you and they are not collecting your biometry but they are creating an account for you and giving you access to this account based on your thumb or based on mm-hmm. your thing and so on but the key and the signature still lives somewhere else uh, so there is a back and forth of data between uh, you and this provider and so on in the case of uh, of our approach to uh, to signature, and uh, we're not the only one doing that, there is um, the folks from Opiclave that have a, a similar approach. They query at the phone level the creation of a key inside the enclave of the phone, and you access the enclave natively inside your phone's hardware uh, through your biometries. But you can also use a, use a, a pin code. Uh, like it depends on how you have uh, you've configured your phone. If you are fine with uh, your phone authenticating you, your, the hardware of your phone authenticating you with your biometries, that's cool. Uh, I prefer using uh, the, the the pin code. Yeah. And in in my case, when I uh, when I connected to the herd, I was asked to put my pin code. And like, okay, okay, put my pin on it and validate it. Um, so we are not connecting any biometry and. And as a, as a provider for Zheard Radio, uh, we are not connecting anything from the user that connects from Zheard Radio, like literally nothing. Uh, we are like uh, after you've visited Zheard Radio, after you started to create an account, Zheard Radio uh, backend tells us like, hey, I need a, a new Xerox uh, address. Uh, so please create a, a, a smart account and please put those, um, those parameters as the smart account owner at the smart account signature scheme and so on and that's all we get like so for us it's uh we you still completely you, you are still completely anonymous to us uh, but whenever the herd radio wants you to do a transaction or to do something do an action like when you want to clap then your backend is asking the phone to uh provide uh, a signature yeah so there's uh it's purely pri- privacy preserving but also it's 
purely non-custodial, truly purely non-custodial. Like mm -hmm. Zherdin is not custodial, Kamev is not custodial. Nobody ever chatted with the enclave except the phone in the enclave using the biometrics. And the private key stays in the enclave. Like. So there's no way to extract it a, a priori. Uh, we, we're not sure. Like maybe uh, maybe uh, there is a backdoor inside iPhone. Maybe there's a backdoor inside Samsung. But if those back a bigger problem. <laughs> if those backdoors exist, that's the backdoor that can extract your passwords and your and your uh, credit cards that you've saved there. But you're not you're, you're not alone in this context because you can always take over your smart account and add an owner that you feel more secure using, uh, like maybe a Ledger hardware wallet, maybe a Trezor hardware wallet, whatever you want. Uh, but at least for a hot wallet perspective, you have something that's truly non-custodial and that's highly efficient and that lives on your phone and no hurdle, no nothing. Like you just put your thumb and the, co the coverage, the, 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 the ease of use over the application is uh, supported at the phone's level. So you don't get those nasty pop-ups, those, those opening of emails and so on. It's just the overlay, the natural overlay of the, of the, of the phone. Yeah. I think that one of the biggest problems with the account abstraction, I mean, not problem, but, but the challenges, is how to deal with the, I lost my password, like yeah. from the Web2 perspective, you know? Hmm. So here, it will be a bit different for the, the Web3 user to deal with uh, mm. with a lost account so how yeah. do you how do you solve this problem with uh, yeah with commit think about your your how your account as a house so the the key to enter the house the key to sign messages that later on become transaction those keys are hosted on your phone like directly on your phone hardware secured and hardware accessed like uh, when you authenticate with your biometry you authenticate to your phone so the first part of the recovery is oh uh, I, I lost access to my phone right so that's the first part like uh, you need to have access to your phone uh, depending on your phone uh, manufacturer and os uh, operating system there is different way to recover those keys so if you're using an iphone the your apple account save an encrypted version of your the state of your enclave on the cloud and when you reinstall your new iPhone after you lost your previous iPhone they also reconstruct the enclave for you so there is a recovery at the passkey level that's very possible on iPhone already um, Google accounts are starting to widely support the recovery of the enclave based on uh, your uh, Google accounts Uh, so if you have Google, you get access to this, and it's this is getting a better support on the upcoming version of Android as well. Uh, and now at the manufacturer level, I know for a fact that Samsung does it. I think Huawei does offer this feature as well, and uh, I'm not super sure about all the different uh, Android manufacturer. And now let's talk about the smart account. For smart accounts, we use Gnosis Safes or just safe now it's uh, it's it's spun out of nurses but uh, uh, so safes are our smart account standard um, we we are adamant on using safe because uh, we see many different uh, actors in the account abstraction uh, creating their own smart wallet for some slight optimization on gas and so on um, it comes of course with way less uh, battle testing than safe that had like been around for eight years now and had a lot of different uh, uh, eight years wait wait a second 2016 17 
yeah, almost eight years, like six, seven years, mm-hmm. six, seven, six, seven years. Um, so it's already securing fifty billion dollars of uh, worth of cryptocurrency. It's uh, it had uh, several audits, uh, a formal proof, and so on. So you are when you're based on safes, you have access to different recovery mechanisms that can be added into the safe. So we are a middleware and we are proposing a default template for safes, uh, but as an application using our uh, account abstraction solution, CAMF Connect, you can create your own template and uh, directly query us for the deployment of those templates. So part of the template is, uh, do you want a recovery system? Such as, uh, do you want the recovery module that uh, lets you declare uh, different people as your social recovery, your guardians, or your uh, however you want to call them? You create a threshold for uh, those individuals to declare uh, your key lost and add a new key as an owner potentially, eventually, we hope, a new key that you have access to. (laughs) Uh, And that's something that you can add as a module. Um, There is another module that we also propose by default. You can uh, opt in or opt out. Uh, You can use it or not use it, and your user can uh, deactivate or activate those modules. Uh, Once the contract has been deployed, it's up to the owner of the safe, likely the person that has access to the passkey or the owner that has access to the the owner that was declared at the deployment. Uh, It's up to this owner to activate or deactivate this module. Uh, It can be deployed by default, it can be not deployed by default and so on. And we propose a recovery mechanism that goes through us uh, as COMEF, like uh, you can just just talk to your uh, application, like uh, Z-Herd, like uh, uh, we work with uh, the National Lottery in France and part of the recovery mechanism that uh, we have uh, designed with them is that you do the lost my password flow with uh, the national lottery and at the end the national lottery will query us saying like hey we need a new key for jerome because jerome lost his key and he just declared he has access to that key not this one so can you add this one in which case we have a 24 hours window where uh, this key is deployed and become active as uh, as an owner and that's part of the gnosis safe and you can opt in or opt out of that um of that uh, of that feature um so you you get you get to as a as a web to, as a web 2 application or in your web 2 flow you get to uh, design what kind of recovery you want to implement uh so let's step a step back take a step back and sum it up uh if you're using passkeys as the method of signature uh, there are many ways users can recover their passkeys um if everything goes wrong uh you can still have a recovery mechanism at the contract level, but it comes with some trust assumption. Like you will trust the third party, us, to do the recovery in uh, in in collaboration with the app. Uh, the app can also say like, oh, we don't want come involved. We just want to be the the recovery mechanism, and that's it. Or we don't want anything at all, and whatever whatever you want. Uh, or you can trust your uh, buddies, your family, your different guardians to uh, do the declaration when you've lost the thing. And thirdly, there is also a way, since it's uh, it's a smart account that is a multi-signature, there's also a way for you to add owners. Um, so depending on the app, it's, uh, it's up to the app to uh, to properly implement in their flow, in the profile in the profile of the of the account, the possibility to decorate your safe and add an owner or connect your wallet to add an owner and so on. In which case, uh, well, 
if you lost access to the pass keys or you lost access to this uh, wallet specifically, you can still add or remove another one. So you get a wallet that you get to really uh, uh, build on top of, decorate and take over. Um, and there are many ways to recover while uh, when, you're lo when you have lost access to your uh, ledger and you don't have the, 12, the, the 24 words and you don't have the, the pin code anymore, usually it's, uh, it's cooked. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm a bit worried about this whole social recovery um, topic because uh, with account abstraction we solved the problem of uh, like um, keeping our wallets for ourselves yeah. so we do not have to uh, send our keys to some centralized server mm. and I'm with social recovery, we can do again the same mistake. Like if we centralize completely the mm -hmm. social recovery method, then it could like go back to, to that state in which our wallet is not completely owned by us. Yeah, I understand where you come from in this context. Like if, if we look back here, Back in the, the early days of Ethereum, we had a, a really good browser called uh, Mist. So <laughs> when you installed Geth, you get a you get also Mist on the side, and Mist was a, a browser with a built-in RPC to your own node. <laughs> so you would uh, locally query your node, and you can explore the, the decentralized web through through Mist. And now, well, we have MetaMask then, and then we had uh, Brave also supporting this, and then Opera, and so on and so forth. Uh, but when you arrive on a website that is that is a, a dApp. Uh, suddenly, the dApp asks your uh, browser uh, to give them an account to communicate with, and then your account become the the account they are communicating with. Like there's there's no customer base, you know, there's no user base. Like the user base is simply people coming in, plugging in their RPC and their wallet, and that's that's me. Like you can interact with me. When you click on connect and you input your wallet and you sign a message to log in, uh, you are by default, giving access to all your wallet information to the website and to the application and so on. So that's that's a, that's a trade-off between uh, having to go through a third party and trust different uh, intermediaries for the handling of your account. You get to not have to trust them, but you have to uh, accept the transparency of the chain. And so when you have an EOA, an externally owned account, uh, the private key that controls this account becomes the, the, the point of failure. Like if you lose the private key or the private key becomes compromised, it's, it's done. Account abstraction comes with a, well, a different approach. Like uh, you arrive on my website, I, I lure you into uh, my good product, I lure you into an experience, I, I advertise my experience, I tell you, ah, it's a very good game, you should try it, or uh, I'm making pancakes uh, for, for breakfast, you want to order some and so on, like create an account. Uh, the first thing that you do is like you're creating an account for this application. So there is a form of scattering of the, the account between the dApps. There are ways of making sure that you are using the same uh, smart accounts between different applications but by default you are using a different safe so you are scoping the the risk the trust assumption to specifically this application and also you're keeping away uh, uh, you're, you're keeping some some privacy between the different uh, your different activity across different applications uh, let's say you uh, go into a lottery website and then you go to an adult entertainment website uh, well the the two the two wallets will be different like the, the two accounts will be different now if you as a user you want to secure your account even more uh, yeah you're free to just uh, add an owner yeah so 
you're getting into it and suddenly you look at the profile and you see that the box uh, social recovery or centralized recovery is ticking. Yeah. Okay, so let's untick this and sign a transaction that as an owner of this account, I don't want this module to be in. And you can actually do so and prove it at the smart contract level. So on-chain, on-chain way, like you're looking at into it and like, hey, so I've opted out of the on-chain recovery. Now I'm on my own. But expect a pop-up on the application saying, oh, are you sure you're doing that? Please type, I understand and I'm, I'm confident with what I am doing. And then at this stage, if you ask the National Lottery, like, hey, can you do a recovery? Because I lost my password, I lost my account, I lost whatever. They're like, hey, guys, you've opted out. So it's, it's a progressive way into getting people uh, um, into good hygiene, good web tree hygiene, and overall good internet hygiene. Mm-hmm. Yep. Switching topic, because we are moving towards the end of the interview, um, it's CC7 next year. Yep. It will uh, not happen in Paris, because we know there is the big Olympics taking place. Yeah, Paris 2024. Yeah. Give us some um, anticipations if you have... <laughs> Well, if you'd like to come to ITCC and then travel to Paris for the Olympics, it's a two hours or something train uh, okay. between Paris and Brussels. So this year, ITCC will be hosted in Brussels, um, the week of the 10th of July, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think it's the week of the 10th of July. Uh, so roughly the same dates as, uh, as last year. Um, The event will be slightly bigger uh, in terms of attendance. Uh, We are almost sold out on the sponsorship package already. Uh, The the conference is highly anticipated by the the usual uh, suspects that you see in in, in large conference like this one. Uh, We are very happy with the the venue. Uh, It's in the center of Brussels next to all the big museums and all the cool places. Um, Also, from a a cost perspective, it has been uh, uh, important for us to keep the the cost of attending as low as possible. well, it, 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 ECC is one of the, the cheapest conferences to attend. Like uh, we are in the in the in the three hundred euro range post taxes uh, to just get the ticket for four days, uh, catering included and drinks included and so on. Um, and now Paris is well, it was a it is a hub, so it's easy to to go to from almost any uh, any capital of the world. Uh, Brussels is a slightly more difficult but not so much and uh, you get to take the train or take direct uh, connections from both Amsterdam and and Paris so it's fairly easy to to get into Um, and also the cost of living in uh, in Brussels is uh, slightly lower when you're a tourist Uh, so you can expect to have access to uh, good hotels and good things um, good 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 catering and stuff um, as a as a as a visitor so that's uh, was super important for us um, also, the good thing with Brussels is that we get um, we get the, the the regulators that are close by in France. And uh, right. as you may or may not know, <laughs> Europe has voted uh, a regulation around crypto called Mika, uh, yeah. and Mika entering uh, in full force application the first of June uh, next year. So we'll be close to the, the the yeah the application of Mika. So it will be good to have uh, more discussion around regulation in Europe at this, uh, at this time. Okay, uh, last question for you, Jerome. France uh, in 2023 has regained the pole position in wine production ahead of Italy. How long do you see how long do you think this is going to last? And more seriously, how do you see wine as RWA like? So I'm I'm 
Yeah, I'm, I'm a wine amateur, and I, I, I'm studying now to drink more and more Italian wine. wine. I'm, I'm getting <laughs> counter, uh, con- con- countering the market this way. Uh, um, things like Amarone de la Valpolicella is one of, now becoming one of my favorite wine. Um, yeah, so wine as a as a RWA. If well, I recently bought a bottle for uh, the for for the um, for Christmas. But all that I was highly anticipating into finally getting this specific guy, this specific year, this specific vintage, got it. Uh, but the bottle is like 10 year old, uh, and I'm not sure uh, how it has been preserved. I'm not sure who has the bottle before, and, and so on and so forth. Um, and if I was the wine producer, uh, knowing that the price went probably four to five x between uh, when it sold it from his wine winery to the, the final users, me, I'm going to open it in the end. <laughs> um, I would be um, I would be pissed. Like I, I would have wanted to have a to have a cut in the in the secondary market process and so on. So it's it's well accepted, well known that wine gets better with age uh, up to a certain point where it starts to peak and then uh, it gets less good and it changes its nature. So you have a, you have old bottle drinkers and, and young bottle drinkers and you have uh, on point bottle drinkers. But what happened to the bottle between the time that it was get taken out of the winery to bring to a table and opened a lot of things can happen like it can be poorly preserved it can be uh, it can be uh, dropped in a place that's changing in temperature a lot and when there are lots of changes of temperature uh, eventually the white is the wine is spoiled um, so if I if if I was at, if I was looking at a bottle and, and wanted to uh, really uh, appreciate the price in the right way I would be asking myself like how many times did this bottle change hands? Like, um, was it uh, was it one producer selling to one guy and then one guy selling it at the end, or was it a bottle that was uh, transferred twenty times and left uh, forty times uh, here and there and so on? Like, if you if you buy champagne, for example, you've you've probably seen that sometimes the the, the the champagne bottle are usually uh, uh, quite uh, dark glass. Uh, you cannot really see what's what's behind mm-hmm. it because direct exposure to light spoils the champagne. Uh, that's also why when you have a clear glass uh, in for the bottle, um, when the bottle is in clear glass, you have a, a, a yellow wrapping around the around the bottle mm-hmm. because you want you want to prevent the the spoiler of the the spoilage of the of the lights. Uh, well, if you ever go to a, a wine auction, uh, you'll see that sometimes the bottle are just uh, in spotlight like this, full uh, for the ongoer to see. Like, oh, this this is the right label. It's indeed this specific bottle. Oh my god! And in the process, the bottle was. Uh, probably spoiled at this time so <laughs> so real world asset uh, and blockchain and specifically wine uh, are known to be a really good match uh, in terms of uh, applying um, blockchain for traceability and uh, also uh, end customer engagement uh, that's that's an important uh, important part of it, and there is a way to look at it from a B two C perspective. Like uh, as a wine amateur, as a wine collector, I want to know more about the the wine and where it came from, and so on. From a B two B perspective, like uh, as a wine producer, I want to make sure that uh, 
there wasn't a super high uh, uh, speculation around my bottle or uh, that I'm not missing part of the market that I could uh, I could leverage or optimize. Uh, if I realize as a wine producer that I'm selling all my bottles uh, 50 kilometers away in a 50 kilometers radius uh, to different uh, distributors and so on, and then all of those distributors are all shipping to, let's say, Singapore, I'm like, oh, maybe I'm just going to open uh, <laughs> to open a place in Singapore and start selling my, my wine directly in Singapore. Well, I, I don't get to really see that as a producer, uh, I'm kind of lost in this uh, in the translation of the of the, the, the moving of the bottles and so on. Uh, and I would love also to engage directly with my with my customers, like some wine producer that works only with allocations. Like uh, I have uh, ten thousand bottles and uh, give it or take. I have uh, one hundred uh, uh, buyers and they all buy all my bottles and that's it. Uh, you know that at the end those guys are maybe not going to uh, drink them themselves or put them on auction and so on. Uh, so they might realize that uh, some wine collectors and some wine amateurs will really want to be on the location, but they don't get to do so because they, they, they cannot reach the, the producer or cannot prove that they actually drank the bottle and bought the bottle. Um, so it's a it's a very interesting way of uh, of connecting the two. Um, art and blockchain was a, a nice application, and this is like taken over the art world. Like, hey, we do NFTs, and the distribution is super cool. You should check it out. Uh, NFTs, yay, let's go. Uh, as a, as an artist, uh, I know my catalog of all the art pieces I've made, and I, I try to know to my best knowledge who are my collectors uh, because I, I can engage them for for paid work work for 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 uh, special custom orders and so on uh, as a winemaker I should be able to do that if I am on a small production doing uh, doing small batches I should be also able to uh, uh, to know that uh, this guy in Paris is collecting my wine and is drinking a lot of my wine or this guy in Rome is doing the same or this guy in Istanbul is actually collecting a lot of my wine so I want to reach out in an email like hey I Apparently, you appreciated our vintage of 12, 2012, 20, uh, 2015, 2016. The 2014, 2024 is going to uh, to be out soon. Like, uh, do you want to order some? Uh, mm-hmm. And I, that's that's kind of a good connection. But you know, it, it requires a really effective way uh, to add an address to a classic Web2 account. And we hope that uh, with things like Comf Connect, we can uh, we can onboard them better and uh, and activate this kind of uh, of experience.